Let us pray. Lord, we look to your coming as people long ago looked for your coming to them to bring deliverance and freedom. Help us, we pray, to see how you might come afresh into our lives and into our world to deliver us and to set us free. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I have never, thankfully, been in hospital as an inpatient. I'm almost sort of um, feeling I shouldn't have said that because it, you know, <laughs> never know what might happen next week. But I imagine that if I were in a hospital for several days, let alone for several weeks or months, the words that I might most want to hear the doctors say to me are, Mr. Edwards, you're free to go. <laughs> if you've been in that situation, you'll know how that feels. I imagine that Nazanin Zaghari Ratcliffe, detained in Iran now for almost two years, but perhaps this weekend with a little more hope of imminent release, will have been desperate for days, weeks, and months on end to hear some official say to her, you're free to go. And we can only imagine how Nelson Mandela must have felt that day when after 27 years in prison, the words were finally said to him, you're free to go. What relief, what joy those words bring. And essentially, you're free to go is the message that God conveys through the prophet that we call Second Isaiah. When he addressed the exiles from Jerusalem who had been captive in Babylon for 70 long years, wiping away their many years of sinfulness and faithlessness, his message comes as something reminiscent of a previous exodus from Egypt in the time of Moses, when God previously had told people, you're free. You're free to go after generations of slavery. The opening verses of Mark's gospel touch on both these significant periods of exile and exodus in Israel's history through the ministry of John the Baptist. And Mark does that, I think, because he wants to show that John has come to prepare the way for Jesus. The exodus out of Egypt and the later exodus from Babylon were both a prelude to a much greater act of deliverance that God intended to bring about through Jesus. If those two acts of exodus were not enough, now God was going to set his people free yet again, but in a new and an amazingly powerful way. This would not be an exodus out of generations of occupation in Israel by Rome, 
like the exodus from Egypt or from Babylon. No, this was a different kind of liberation. God wasn't going to free people just from imperial power. He was going to set all people everywhere in every age free from the tyranny of sin, evil, and death. A far mightier act of deliverance from a very different kind of exile. So John was anxious to set the scene for Jesus' ministry, to prepare the hearts and the lives of people to receive God's coming in Jesus because John knew what it entailed. And in his ministry, Jesus demonstrated how at the heart of his words and his actions, there was this powerful invitation or declaration. You're free. You're free to go. To those whose lives were shackled by wrongdoing, Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. Those bound by evil spirits were delivered by Jesus from the hold that the demons had upon their lives. Those suffering from leprosy were cleansed by Jesus and enabled to return to the communities that had banished them. Those crippled by disease or afflicted by illness were set free by Jesus to enjoy wholeness of life. Even those overpowered by death were rescued by Jesus back to life. Later, John himself held captive in prison began to question if Jesus really was the expected Messiah that he'd prepared the way for, the one who had come to deliver Israel. In reply to these doubts and questions, Jesus passed on this message to John through messengers that John had sent. Go and tell John what you hear and see, Jesus said. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news preached to them. Although John may have in these later days doubted if Jesus was the true Messiah, here at the beginning of his ministry by the River Jordan, John is quite clear that Jesus is Israel's true liberator, the anointed one of God, who has come to fight against the forces that would stand in the way of God bringing in his kingdom of justice and peace, of truth and love and righteousness, and so set all his people free. That's why John, I think, repeats the cry of the prophet we heard in Isaiah 40. Make straight a highway for our God. You see, John wants people to get back to God as soon as they can. And so he wants them to travel to God in the person of Jesus along a four-lane motorway. He doesn't want them taking wrong turns down a complex system of B-roads and country lanes. John wanted people to find their way to Jesus as straightforwardly as possible. When they got to Jesus, of course, the challenge that Jesus presented on their lives would not always be easy and straightforward. But John wanted their access to Jesus to be as literally 
as straight as it could be. So John saw his purpose in life and in ministry in these terms, to proclaim a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins and to clear a spiritual path to God for the people of Jerusalem and Judea to go along it to Jesus. Now, that's the kind of biblical understanding of John preparing the way for Jesus. But what does that say to us as we prepare to receive Christ this Christmas time? Well, I believe John's message is still vitally important for us too today. I don't know about you, but it may seem that all we're doing at the moment, apart from avoiding the snow, is to get ready for Christmas, to think of all the things that we've got to do, to do all the shopping, get all the presents, wrap them all up. You know how it is in these days leading up to Christmas. There seems to be so much to do. And each year it seems that the season of Advent fails to get the look-in that it deserves. This time when really, instead of just preparing for Christmas, we should really be preparing for Jesus. For Jesus coming into our world, into our lives, into our history. And the message that John brings is a message that challenges us as well in this season of preparation in Advent. Because John challenges us to see the things that we need to ask Jesus to free us from. What is it that we need to be set free from? What are those things in our lives where we are held captive in exile? The Franciscan writer on spirituality, Father Richard Rohr, makes the point that all of us are in some sense exiles or captives. Actually, the phrase he uses is addictives, but I'll stick to exiles and captives. Because he says that none of us are completely free. We're all bound by things in our lives that we've lived with forever or things that have happened to us through circumstances in our lives that in some way bind us, shackle us, trap us. When really what God wants to do is to set us free, to enable us to become the people that God has created us to be. There could be many things in your life and in mine that we need God in Christ to set us free from. But sometimes we don't always realize that these things are binding us, holding us back, keeping us away from that freedom and that joy and that peace that God longs to give to us. Things like having a heart that on the whole is filled with resentment or bitterness because of things that have happened to us in the past or a developing spirit of ungraciousness or a lack of generosity. It may be an unwillingness to forgive somebody who's badly hurt us, and that in turn breeds a spirit of finding it difficult to forgive others or to show love and acceptance of people who are different from us. 
Or we may have within us a pride that stops us from saying sorry, that sort of insists that we're always right, and that stops us from displaying that true Christian humility that is so important in all our dealings with other people. We may be driven by a desire to have our own way, to be in control of people and events around us, which is sometimes just a cover for our own inner insecurities. Or we may have all kinds of fears or anxieties. We may be suffering in some way from types of stress or depression brought on by the circumstances of life. All of these things and more besides can hold us captive. They can rob us of being able to enjoy the life that God wants us to have, preventing us from becoming free to be the people God created us to be. And then there are also those many forms of sickness, pain, sorrow, hurt, and grief, as well as difficult life experiences that can shackle us and hold us in their grip. And sometimes we don't actually realize that that is what they're doing. Sometimes we just take it for granted that this is how I am, or that this is the way things are, or that this is how it is. This is me, you're just going to have to put up with me or accept me as I am. And God says, no, I don't want to accept you as you are. I love you as you are, but I want you to be so much different because I love you so much. I want to set you free. Well, do you recognize yourself in any of those scenarios? I know I see myself in them. And if you do see yourself, what might it be that Jesus is offering to set you free from? What is it that you long for Jesus to say to you about you're free? You're free to go. What would you like Jesus to say those words about in your life because he's removed the thing that's so holding you back? I think those are very important questions for us to ask ourselves. And there's no better time to ask those questions than in the season of Advent, if, of course, we're not too busy to think about those questions for ourselves. Advent has traditionally been a time of reflection and self-examination, a bit like Lent, really, but it gets so crowded out with the onset of Christmas. But there is no better time than now to reflect upon those kinds of questions. And then, as we prepare the way for Jesus to come at Christmas, we make a straight road down which we can travel to meet him, to receive him, to accept him as our Lord and Savior, and to ask him to free us from those things we would like him to free us from. So the first step we need to take is to heed John the Baptist's message, to clear a straight path, and to come to Jesus by way of repentance. And I say repentance because 
It may not mean that we turn over the whole of our lives and do things completely differently, but there may be aspects of our lives where we need to do things differently. And that's the root meaning of the word repent. It means to turn around, to go in another direction. And maybe there are parts of our lives that need to go in a different direction, the direction towards Jesus. And the second step that we need to take is that as we turn our lives towards God, heeding John's message to be prepared, is then to encounter Jesus and to ask him for the freedom that we need. Mark, in his gospel, makes it very clear what the message of John the Baptist was and how he went about preaching it. But what Mark also makes clear in these opening verses is that many of the people from Jerusalem and Judea who came out to hear John preach, maybe just out of speculation or out of interest or curiosity, actually responded to what he said, heeded his call, and turned to Jesus, the one for whom John was preparing the way. We too need to decide whether when we walk that straight path towards Jesus, we will ask Jesus to free us from that in our lives from which we want to be set free and allow Him to come and bring at Christmas His wonderful gifts of freedom, of joy, of peace, of love, and hope to fill our lives. You're free. You're free to go. How much do we long to hear Jesus say those words to us this Christmas time? For those words lie at the heart of the kingdom proclamation that Jesus came to bring. So in these days of Advent, may we choose the way of turning back to Jesus, allowing him to liberate us from whatever holds us in its power and keeps us from the life that Jesus offers to us. May we discover for ourselves that the words you're free to go ring with new residence in your life and mine this Christmas time because we've used these days of Advent to reflect, to look at ourselves, and to come to Jesus and ask from Him the greatest gift that He can possibly give us, His own life, which He came to bring for all. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we get so distracted and preoccupied by other things, important though they may be. And yet sometimes, Lord, we fail to focus upon what's really important. We so prepare ourselves for Christmas to make sure it's all just absolutely perfect that we fail to prepare for what it means, the coming of Christ into our lives and into our world.
So in these days of Advent, help us to prepare for His coming, to take time out, whether for 10 minutes here in the chapel each day or privately in our homes, but let us make that time just to reflect on what His coming means to us, what we want to ask of Him for our own lives. What are the things we're not prepared to put up with any longer, but that we want Him to free us from? So let us prepare the way to Jesus in these days of Advent. And when Christmas comes and He arrives and He enters into our world and into our hearts and our lives, may we know through the freedom that He gives us, the joy and the peace of living in His love and in His light. May we know that and take that joy and that peace into our lives, into this new year and beyond, into the future. In His name we pray. Amen. kingdom of God is justice and joy, for Jesus restores what sin would destroy.